Yo, what's going on, everybody? We are back and live once again for a brand new episode of Bets and Banter. And today on the show, we're talking about UFC Singapore. It's the return of blessed Max Holloway, and he's taking on fan favorite, perennial contender, the Korean Zombie. It's a top 10 ranked featherweight matchup. Can't get much better than that. And we've got a strong supporting cast. We got a lot of local flavor on the card as well. So very excited to break down this card. Very excited to get into our bets and banter with two of the sharpest gentlemen in the space, two returning friends of the show. So without further ado, you know them, you love them. I got my section nine repping on for our guy, Shane Burgos. Didn't get the job done, but went to war last night in the PFL represented for section nine and another New York representative, our guy, Pepe Silvia, section six in the building. What's going on, brother? I'm the greatest boxer alive. What's up, Liam? Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely, brother. My pleasure. As always, crushed it last time. Let's see if we can make magic again. And our guy returning, JWB, Rich, in the building. Rich, how you doing today, my man? Good, Liam. How's it going, bro? Pepe? It's a good day to be alive, brother. Good day above ground. Hit the PFL yesterday. Fun show. Uh, interesting to take it in. I've never been to a PFL show before, only been to a handful of live fights, King of the Cage, PFL, UFC. I got to say, credit to them. They put on a great show. It was a fun time, but I didn't think the fights quite lived up to where they could have been. You know, the main event, fun fight, fun scrap. Both guys went to war there, but a couple of the other fights, a little bit lackluster. I think sometimes the playoff format kind of leads guys to fight to a decision, fight a little bit more conservatively. So something they're going to want to try and incentivize people away from, uh, I think, in the future. OAM went out there, delivered. I think the only finish of the main card, um, So, or actually, no, uh, Biagio Ali Walsh in an amateur fight that was on the main card for some reason uh, got the finish. So shout out to him. But in any case, guys, we got a UFC card to discuss, 13 fights strong at UFC Singapore. So let us not waste any time. We'll get right into the action, starting with the first fight of the night. And I was looking back at the history of these events in Singapore. Our guy, Sung Woo Choi, he's dropped a decision here before. I believe it was a split decision on the cards. So it's not like uh, the hometown advantage or something. It's just going to go the way of the Asian fighters on this card in Singapore. I want to make that clear. But I do think that this is a winnable matchup in some ways that the UFC's put together for him. Jarno Aarons, a guy who's coming in off of a loss. Uh, he did fight William Gomes in his UFC debut. Tough UFC debut. But I went back and watched his Brave FC fight. Um, as well against some guy uh, with a tricky Russian-sounding last name. He went out there. He put on a scrap, right? He's competitive in the grappling, but he just seems very easy to take down. Um, his striking doesn't seem like it's anything to write home about. He's got a little bit of power on the feet. Um, but overall, he just seemed like a guy who is a little bit complacent on the bottom, a little bit uh, too active looking for submissions off his back. He even did that against Gomez and then ended up losing the decision there. Had a couple nice attempts, a decent triangle, for example, late in the fight but then he ends up getting it passed. So it just seems like he's a guy that has a lot of the right ideas, aggressive guy, maybe not putting it all together yet. Sung Woo Choi, he's fallen short a few times in the UFC, but he does have a wealth of experience in the octagon to fall back on here. So Rich, we'll kick it to you first, my man. How do you feel about this fight? Do you have any bets here? And do you feel like this is a fight worth betting on? Um, Yeah, I think it was a fight worth betting. Um, But I think if you didn't bet early, you've missed a line now on... Um this Jarno guy. I don't think you should be betting Choi at minus 200, minus 250, whatever he is now. I think he's shown that he can't be trusted. I think he's got a lack of ground game. Um, and what was most concerning about Choi for me was his uh, last two fights against Trezano and Kulibau. 
It just looks like he was throwing too much caution to the wind, happy to plant his feet and just throw, you know, three, four punch combinations and, you know, see what happens. And I, I didn't like to see that from him. Like, at least before that, he was like, you know, moving his feet a little bit um, and not just looking for that one punch knockout. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he can be trusted. I think he's back in Asia now, not training in, in the US. And um, I like what I see from this Jarno guy. He's had his UFC debut now. Um, he does have power in his hands. He's shown that on the regional scene against the Max Koga guy. And uh, he's shown that he's got some sneaky submissions. So I think at plus 180 or whatever he was, I think he's plus 140 now. He's he's a bet, man. Um, but yeah, if you still like that line, plus 140, uh, go ahead and take it, man. Because I, I think he, he's a, a good bet here. Good underdog. I don't mind it. Like I said, we did see Sungwoo Choi drop a close split decision. He does seem like a guy who doesn't always fight optimally in fights that go the distance. But I do want to give him some credit that the loss to Alex Caceres looked like he was on the verge of knocking him out. Then there was that stoppage in action. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it was an eye poke, a kick to the nuts, something like that. It stopped the fight. It gave Alex a chance to recover. And then by the time he came back, he hopped on his back, got the submission there. To your point. Definitely susceptible on the ground, but Josh Kulabau, another guy who's like making his way in the division, certainly not at the upper echelon, but a guy who can get wins in the UFC, opportunistic himself. And Mike Trezano, that's the loss that kind of stands out. I think Trezano's been cut from the UFC. If not, he renegotiated, went elsewhere. Um, but he's another Tiger Shulman's guy, uh, very talented, but is a guy that's willing to engage in wars on the feet. We've seen that cost him in the past. So um, I felt like that was kind of a, you know, a weird looking fight and a fight where I expected Sung Woo Choi to look a lot better. Um, so I, I don't really know what to make of Sung Woo Choi at this point. What do you think about this one, Pepe? I, I feel like he's a guy that put together a nice little win streak, but uh, just hasn't been able to get it going since. Yeah, like where things stand right now, I um, I think Choi is the side. Like he's down to minus 144 on bot online right now. I mean, and... And Liam, Liam hit on it, like, initially. And what it comes down to for me is the takedown defense for Jarno. Like, William Gomez isn't some, like, good grappler or anything. And, like, the ease in which he was getting him down was just, like, really alarming. And he's just – he's too willing to play off his back. And we've seen in multiple UFC fights, Choi is willing to um, go for takedowns. Um, and, yeah, I, I think – um, I think Choi will use that game plan. Um, you know, he's had a couple, he's had a couple fights against fighters who are much more difficult to grapple where he was forced to strike a little more. And I think he's going to be able to win minutes through grappling and then be able to stay safe on the feet. Cause I don't think Jarno really hits that hard. So I don't think he's going to be put in too much danger with that. And, I also think Jarno is pretty durable too. So I see this one going over. Um, but as far as money line side, I like Choi. Um, yeah, Choi for me and over two and a half. Interesting. So, uh, Rich, did you have a, a thought on the total I wanted to ask before I give my thoughts here? Um, no, not really. I was just taking um, Jarno. Uh, money line because of the line that he was at. I just thought he was being a bit disrespected. Um, so now no real thoughts on that. Fair play. So the thing I'll close out with here is that Sungwoo Choi, historically, he's really struggled as a favorite. But you look at the typical odds range, you're looking at uh, minus 265 against Caceres, a better fighter, I would say, um, minus 208 against Kulabau. You know, another guy who's a little bit more proven in the UFC. 
uh, minus 169 against Trezano. So the market's been very bullish on him his last few times out, and it hasn't worked out. Uh, but, you know, he's still being priced as a favorite here. I do think that Jarno is going to see, um, you know, underdog money as a result. I don't know exactly what to make of this one. I feel like I'm going to keep my hands clean of it, but I will just say I think the KO and the submission being priced the same for uh, Jarno Aarons doesn't make much sense to me because I do think he is a guy that if he clubs him, he's going to try and go for a submission in my view. He just seems like a submission first fighter. So um, that's just my gut feeling based on on the tape that I was watching. But we can move to the next fight here um, because we've got plenty more to break down. So the next one up is Naliang and J.J. Aldrich. Uh, I'll be very brief with my thoughts here. I was tempted by the Naliang side just because of a, it's a numbers game. And I feel like JJ Aldrich is not a very good fighter, but then I watched Naliang back and I don't know that she has the cardio to fight for seven and a half minutes. Um, you know, I think that she had good positions against Ariane Carnalosi, a couple spots that she wanted, you know, but it just looks like everything she's doing is very frenetic, very loose. Looks like she could end up on the bottom in any exchange. Doesn't seem like she has very good hips. Uh, and most of the good fighters she's ever fought, she lost to. J.J. Aldrich is a girl that the same thing can be said of her, but she's been beating girls uh, at a higher level in the UFC. And Na Liang, uh, the one thing I found interesting from like a trends point of view, Na Liang has gone under twice uh, for the women's division, which is kind of rare. Her chin doesn't seem very good. Her submission defense is probably not perfect. But she's also extremely aggressive. So J.J. Aldrich is 0-2 in fights that go under in the UFC but she's gone over in the vast majority of her fights. So I have a feeling this could be a gross JJ Aldrich, like outside boxing performance. Um, and I don't really feel like betting on this one. How do you feel about this Rich? Um, yeah, just a disgusting fight, man. Um, just give you a bit of stats, uh, 439 days since Liang's last fight. She's been gone for a minute. Um, she seems to have disappeared from social media on her IG from her last fight. That's a bit concerning when people do that. Um, we'll see that later on as well from um, Ryan Spann. Got his IG private. I don't like that. I think it's a bit of a bitch move. Um, yeah, Liang striking defense, 27%. Uh, obviously not very good. Um, and I just think, yeah, it's a very binary fight. I think she's going to try and get her takedowns, get a submission. And JJ's going to try and keep it standing. She does have pretty good takedown defense. So I'm probably stay away from it. But I reckon JJ should knock her out in this fight. Um if you like your unders, that might be a good parlay piece. Fight doesn't go the distance is like what minus two ten, something like that. Last time I looked. So yeah, they're my thoughts, but I'm staying away. Shit show, man. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. You know, uh, how do you feel about this one, Peppy? Yeah, dude. Um, JJ is definitely gonna knock her out. Um, like, yeah, you just just watch Nalang and her her past two fights. Like, she can't take a punch, and she doesn't have more than five minutes of cardio. Like, and now she's going up to 125. She was weak at 115 going up a division. And like, it kind of, it just sucks though, because the books know exactly what's going to happen. Like they're pricing JJ round three or round two at like plus 350. It's absolutely horrible, but yeah, they already know what's up. JJ's going to knock her out. Um, first or second round. I'm not sure which one, but yeah, it's. I'm really confident that's going to happen. I just don't know if I want to get invested um, on any Aldridge props, but I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty damn confident that the under two and a half is going to hit. 
Yeah, I would feel good about that too. You know, sometimes we talk about uh, the dynamics for total betting, and Nali Yang is like a killer be killed classic, right? She comes out there, she tries to kill you, grabs a hold of you, gets in your face, throws big punches, but then she doesn't really have the gas to keep going if she does that and it doesn't work. So I do think that that makes a lot of sense. But I will just say, like, the one thing I don't like about JJ Aldrich, just period, about her fighting style, when she gets pressured heavily, she could just quit at any point in a fight and just break. Like, Macy Barber, she was whooping her ass. She was winning that fight. She was winning it cleanly. And the fact that Macy didn't fuck off was enough for her to just say, all right, I'm out of here, dude. Well, and like, Macy yes. Barber, Macy Barber versus Na Liang is two different beasts, sir. <laughs> oh, 100%. But I'm just saying, like, as a rule, this is why girls like JJ Aldrich at minus 750, it's just like an instantly, like, dog or pass for me every time uh because even her last time out against um what's her name everybody was writing her off saying she sucks she's terrible Ariane Lipsky hasn't shown anything in the UFC but then she brought out some pressure she came forward she got in her face and was aggressive and JJ Aldridge doesn't like that so I just think that Nali Yang she brings the kind of style that JJ doesn't like but she can't sustain it and she's not very good at it so for me just a pass fight but I do lean violence for the same reasons you mentioned next up we can move to Yusaka Kinoshita and Billy Goff. And speaking of leaning violence, I lean violence here pretty heavily. You know, I, I don't really trust either of these guys. Um, Kinoshita in his last performance, I thought, you know, that was definitely a uh, underperformance by him. I thought he could have made that more competitive, but he just looks like he's a little bit lost on the ground. Looks like a guy who, uh, like a lot of MMA fighters, when they're coming up, they're very good on offense, but the defense just is not there uh, for this level. And I feel like he was there to be hit. Um, you know, and I feel like he took a lot of damage in that fight as well. Um, so not things that you want to see, but still very young could definitely put it all back together for Billy Goff. He's a guy that I wasn't super sold on coming into contender series. He was getting hurt in a lot of his fights, but he is a guy that seems willing to fight through adversity. He seems like he's got toughness. Seems like he wants to be in there. Tricky fight. You know, he's traveling uh, a long way for this one as well. Um, I feel like Kinoshita is probably going to be the, uh, local, you know, favorite. They're going to be cheering for him there. Short line, though, uh, for a guy who's coming back here after being a big favorite in his last fight. So um, this feels like a fight I, I need to do a little more due diligence before I part with my money. How do you feel about this one, Rich? I think you faded him last time, right, successfully, if I'm not mistaken. Kinoshita. Yes. Uh, no, I didn't, man. I was gutted about it, though. Um, oh, isn't he, rude, isn't he at Killcliff, though? Isn't he flying over as well? Is he not training at Killcliff? Yeah, he's at Killcliff. Yeah, so so he has to do the traveling um, also, man, as well as Billy. Oh, um, but yeah, smokes. Good call. Same thing with uh, Nakamura for whatever it's worth at ATT. We'll talk about that later, but good point. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, I don't like the footwork of Billy. Um, he doesn't manage his distance well. He's right there to be hit. You know, we're standing in the pocket and not throw anything. So I think he's very taggable. Uh, everything says Kinoshita should knock him out, but there's just alarm bells, man, from that last fight with um, Adam Fugit. As soon as he faced a bit of adversity and Adam put it on him, he kind of crumbled and wilted, which isn't good, especially when you're facing a wrestler. Um, but yeah, I think I'm just overthinking it too much. I think Kinoshita will probably find his chin rain one. He does hit hard. Um, he has got some nice counters. Um, so yeah, I'll go with Kinoshita, I think. But um, there's some alarming things from Billy, especially on the regional scenes. He fought a guy called Justin uh, Sumpner, who was taking him down. And again, um, he's getting his ass kicked and he did his usual comeback and uh, got the TKO in like round two. Um, but do you really want to be betting on someone who, you know, you're relying to like come back in, in fights and find a win? Not really. Um, so yeah, I'll go Kinoshita. Uh, another thing to mention is... 
Billy leaves his neck open on his takedowns. Um, he's there to be guillotined all day, um, or maybe a choke snap snatched up, which Kinoshita does from his regional tape. Um, so yeah, they're my thoughts, but Kinoshita's likely a better, maybe even the sub, uh, depending on the line, man. Yeah, it looks like it's about a plus 600, and I, I feel like I looked at that in the past with Kinoshita, uh, maybe on the Contender Series. He's a violent individual. You know, that was like my major takeaway from watching his tape pre-UFC. Uh, very violent, uh, willing to go down to the ground, willing to hammer fist people, willing to go for ground and pound. But if the sub opens up, he's willing to take it as well. So I feel like Kinoshita, uh, good finishing instincts, relatively speaking, for a, a younger and more inexperienced fighter. Um, how do you feel about this one, Pepe? Yeah, man. So um, I wasn't sure how I was going to play this one, but um, what I ended up doing was taking. Um, well, first off, um, I I did fade uh, Kinoshita in his last fight against Fuget. That was fucking beautiful. I was kind of surprised I won it, but it was a huge number. Um, here, though, um, like Fuget's way better than Goff, in my opinion. Um, so I don't really see him giving. Um, Kinoshita the same kind of problems um, inflicting the same kind of damage that Fuget was able to he doesn't have the control that Fuget does um, however he does have a lot of heart and he is durable so you know you, you you're not going to feel great playing Kinoshita money line so or at least I'm not so what I ended up doing was playing uh, Kinoshita round one KO plus 485 um you know, I, I was shocked at how bad Goff's striking defense was and how slow and plotting he was. And um, on the contender series, he got knocked down with a high kick immediately. He just didn't see it coming, just walked right into it. And it's like the same the same high kick Kinoshita uses all the time. So I could see I could see him um, knocking him out in round one. But I will be on the lookout for um, a golf live bet if he gets out of round one because, you know, like that's just his his mo. Like if he doesn't get killed early, he he'll come back. And we saw K Kinoshita will, so you know it just makes too much sense. And you know if if Kinoshita fucks him up in round one, you could probably get like a plus three hundred on golf in between rounds, and I think that would make an excellent bet. So Kinoshita round one KO into Goff live after round one. I hear that for sure, my man. I'm looking at my notes. I said Kinoshita, local market fighter, but greasy as shit. I lean the under. I kept it very simple on this one. Uh, I just feel like these guys are both violent. I feel like they're both willing to get in each other's face and throw down in this fight. Um, you know, the only hesitancy is coming off of that damage, coming off of that loss. Maybe we see a little bit more tepid performance a little bit more hesitancy from Kinoshita, but he just doesn't seem like that guy he's still very young his confidence probably not shaken by that result overall so i feel like he's going to get back in there the one other thing to note fugit is huge right 77 inch reach he's just a massive guy for the division long awkward gets on top of you and he's like a blanket you know he's like kind of hard to get away from those guys can just base out like knees far apart hands far apart where are you going you're not really going to have an easy time getting out. You either give your back or you're stuck underneath. So I think that that was kind of uh, the dynamic we saw for Kinoshita there.
But I do think he's got talent. I do think the UFC had their eye on him, right? Coming off contender series, I feel like who was the guy that they're more interested in marketing? I do feel like it's Kinoshita. Didn't work out the last time. So now giving him another opportunity, another guy that he could potentially beat. And I did bet Simone Schmotrisky. I did bet him ITD on the contender series at plus 145, at plus 333. And he went out there, he dropped him with a high kick and then ended up getting finished, right? Both young guys. I think Simone is still like 22 or 23. He's a young guy. And he went out there, landed some shots, but got a little bit over aggressive, a little bit overwhelmed there. If I'm fading you on contender series, you know, and now you're a very short underdog in the UFC against a guy who I think has a little bit more upside long-term, probably going to have to look at the favorite or pass here for me. Yeah. The only problem I had with the under is they have it at two and a half and it's like minus 250, minus 260. It's like, if it was like under one and a half and you could get like, plus 100 or something i would be into that for sure you know what i'm gonna see because there is a few books that tend to offer that alternate uh total let me see what the under one and a half is uh you can get a minus 118 on rivers i'll, I'll try and shop that around a little bit see if i can get plus money on the under one and a half because that i i feel like somebody's probably going to finish this in the first seven and a half minutes next up boys fun one mihal lord olexasia taking on chitty Cigarette cardio and Jikawani. I'm kidding about that. He's a fun fighter, uh, dangerous guy, but that is a joke that I've made on this show before, you know, uh, fading guys with cigarette cardio. I did. Um, I believe I took Duraev against our guy, Chitty. Um, Duraev, me and him have had an up and down relationship in the UFC, right? I can't always get that guy's fights right. But what I did notice is like Chitty and Jikawani, a guy that when he has it his way on the feet, he's dangerous, fast kicks, can bring a high kick up to your head, really snappy that you don't see coming. But I don't think he likes to be pressured. I don't think he likes to be walked down with shots. And I think that against some of these guys, like the Mario Souza's and these guys, he's just throwing them to the mat, uh, leveraging the fact that he has some skills on the ground in a division where a lot of guys don't have those skills. But then I think against a guy like this in Lord Olegzajic, last fight he looked terrible on the mat, right? He's getting owned by Kyle Barajo. Many guys at middleweight are going to get owned by Kyle Barajo on the mat. So no problem there for me. And I feel like Oleg Sechuk at 185, he's got good hitting power. He's a guy that has to do more cardio in order to get to 185. At 205, he's got the thin layer of fat. He's doing his thing. But he was known to gas out in seven and a half minutes. feel like he puts in more work now. And I just feel like he's a fun guy who's been around the UFC a long time. I think they like having him around. And I think Chidi and Chikawani, he could be coming or he could be going. You know, I don't think they care too much. So the measurables are all for Chitty here, but the one measurable that stood out the most to me is the age because Michael Olegzajic is getting better. He's still less than 30 years of age, got a ton of UFC experience under his belt at that time. And Chitty, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's looking worse and worse since coming from the contender series. He looked at his peak and I feel like he's kind of just dropped off slightly ever since. So for me, give me Lord Mihal Olegzajic in a closely lined fight. How do you feel about this one, Rich? <clears throat> yeah, it's a fight I'm not going to bet on, but I do like the Chidi side. Um, I think that uh, Michael's wins haven't aged well, like Brundage, Alvi, uh, Modestus, and uh, GM Volante. So, yeah, I don't think they've aged well. I like the uh, athleticism from uh, Chidi, more dynamic, you know, mixes in the kicks and stuff. Michael's more of, of just a puncher. Um, but like I say, I'm, I'm not um, dying to bet on this fight. Um, I think it is pretty much 50-50. It could go either way. Um, we have some Chidi break in there. Um, but I think that was against better fighters, man. Like Robocop, who's like 6'3", is a big unit, punches hard, man. Um, he's got like that one-punch power. And he basically kind of knocked out Robocop, to your point. Like he had Robocop. Any competent doctor, I feel like, stops that fight. You could see inside of his face. But 
Yeah, the, the, and the same with Derev. Derev obviously doesn't have the uh, striking of Robocop, but he does have something that can cause you problems, obviously, the grappling. Um, and I just think that's what won him the fights. And I just don't think Michael's got that. He's very predictable um, with his um, striking, boxing. And I just think this could be like a cheaty decision, um, you know, a bit of a war either way. We've seen on Dana White's people dying for free reigns like he did to that Sousa kid. Um, so, yeah, I just think he's got more win ways to win Chidi. I think he's got decent cardio um, from what I've seen uh, when he's not fighting Duref. And, um, yeah, he's got some jiu-jitsu, although he never really uh, uses it. Or I'm not really sure what his credentials are because I think he's a black belt, but um, it might be one of them fake ones, man. But, yeah, Chidi's the side for me at the, at the number, I think. Fair enough. I mean, I feel like there's a colorable case for both guys, so that's why Pickham's probably appropriate. I'm just picking Michael Oleksajic. I think he's probably going to knock him out, but I, I don't feel, you know, ultra convicted here. What do you think about this one, Pep? Yo, I'm going <laughs> fucking Mikhail Oleksajic. Hussar. And yeah, dude, um, I I think his style is going to give Chidi some problems because Chidi's the kind of guy who, who needs space. And um, Mikhail... Is just he's just like always in your face. He's a pressure boxer, and you know I I can just see him on the front foot and Chidi circling around, circling around, um, and having more of a difficulty getting his his strikes off. And the way I see it is, you know, after uh, Mikel went down to middleweight, they gave him two very easy fights in Sam Alvey and Cody Brundage. And I think they did that because I think they kind of want to build him as a prospect and someone that they want to keep around for a while. Meanwhile, Chidi just lost to Duraev. He's 34 years old. What what are they really going to get out of him, um, you know, in, in the next couple of years? Where can they use him? You know, he, he's not really main card material. Whereas uh, Mikel, he's only 28. They can... They can build him into something. He's like a really exciting fighter. Um, and yeah, I, and I, I know he hasn't done it in a while, but I do think he has the better cardio um, between him and Chidi. Um, the, the one thing I guess I would be worried about is if um, Chidi like lands a bunch of body kicks and like kind of saps the energy from him. But overall, I, give him the cardio edge and i do think there's a, a scenario where um maybe it's one one and round three uh mikhail takes chidi down and he rides out some top time because it's been a while since he's used his wrestling but if you go back to the round tree fight um that's how he fought him and ended up winning using his wrestling and just staying on top um, doing some light damage with ground and pound. And I just found out, or I just saw today that DraftKings has uh, Mikel by decision at plus 550. I thought that was pretty insane. Um, so that's where I'm going to go. And I have Mikel money line. Fair enough, my man. Um, the thing that I looked at here that stood out to me, and this was in my notes that I put on Patreon earlier today, 
Oleg's a massive body puncher, right? Like most of his best shots come to the body and that sets up his work upstairs. And Chitty's got a massive torso, right? He's just one of these really long guys. I think he's like six foot four. He's got a lot of body to hit. And that for me, I think is an opening. It's like a opportunity for Oleg Zaychik. I think that should be his primary target. I think it is going to be mostly a stand-up fight. I do think that Chitty has the, um, you know, the grappling upside when they're fresh. I noted uh, in my breakdown, I'm going to look here real quick uh, at Njikawani by sub. It's a disgustingly low price. It should be 20 to one or something to get me involved here. It's it's quite low, so I'm not interested. But in any case, I, I do think that um, Oleg Sechuk, you look at the guys he's been training with, Ankos MMA, Jan Blachowicz, he's been working on his wrestling. He's been working on his grappling as best as he can in Poland, trying to get better. And so I feel like he's a guy that could be making those improvements uh, here that could keep him upright on the feet. If it's upright on the feet, I like this fight for him. So uh, give me Oleg Sechuk as the pick, but no bet for me on that fight. Oshiomi Kazama. Actually, you know what? Let's take a step back. I missed a fight, guys, at welterweight. Kanan Song is fighting Rolando Bedoya. A fight so forgettable, I, I actually missed it as we were going over the fights on topology. Um, my notes on this fight were arguably Song Kanan gave Ian Gary his hardest fight in the octagon. I think that that's true. Um, and I think that, you know, he landed a knockdown in that fight, gave 10 times the resistance that Neil Magny gave him. Um, but I don't know why Rolando Bedoya is getting a ton of respect here, honestly. Uh, he's coming in. He's got uh, some, you know a good performance last time out against chaos Williams. Who's what like a mid tier 170. I think Kanan song is like a mid low tier 170. but again, song Kanan is a guy who's got a bunch of international wins in the UFC, been around for a little while. And on the other side, Rolando Bedoya is just some guy from Peru who I don't really know that much about. I watch fights every weekend. I remember he made the debut that was close enough against chaos Williams. I thought it could have went either way. So now he's minus 300 material. It just, I, I don't really know. I'm going to do more research on this fight. Like I said, I was at PFL yesterday haven't gotten to do all of my due diligence here, but unless I see something startling in the tape, I feel like Rolando Bedoya is just mostly average guy. So uh, curious to see what you think about this one, Rich. Am I missing something here? No, I haven't got much to say, man. I don't think he's worthy of the price tag. Um, I think there is recency bias for the fight with Chaos Williams, who I thought was flat in that fight. Um, just from the opening bell, like uh, Chaos was throwing these four or five punch combinations that were just so sloppy. He was there to be counted. Um, but Bedoya wasn't the one to catch him. Um, now they're flying him out to Singapore to fight Song. Maybe this is like a, a little favor to Song for taking the fucking uh, Ian Gary fight. I don't know. Um, but I can't trust Song either, so I'm staying away. It's not a, a dog opportunity that I want to be putting money on. Um, but I don't think you should be betting Bedoya either. Just pass. That that would be my take on the fight. Um, it's just, it's just a, a fight I don't want no part in, man. But I, I do think he's being overvalued in the market, Bedoya. He seems like a master of nothing. Um, maybe overs are good in this fight. I don't know. I, I ain't betting it, man. And the thing is, you see sometimes these guys, it, sometimes it works out, right? When they go from plus 300 to minus 300, sometimes it's the right yeah. move. Think of a Marcus McGee. He goes from plus 150 to minus 350. That was correct. But then you see other times, uh, like Victor Henry, what did he go from minus, uh, like plus 400 to minus 400 and he wins as a dog loses as a favorite. It's like th these kind of things happen frequently in MMA. The market's a very fickle thing. So I, I just didn't know that I saw enough from Bedoya to think like, Oh, he's just a lock to beat his next five opponents. Like it, it just didn't seem that way to me. Uh, what do you feel about this one? Peppy? Am I, am I missing something about Bedoya? Nah, man, you're not missing anything. Um, I, song is definitely the side. Um, and I am playing him 
just because, bro, he's much cleaner than Chaos. Um, he's not going to create as many opportunities for Bedoya to get off that much volume. I mean, there's a there is like a low probability that he could even use his wrestling against Bedoya and win minutes that way. Um, the fight cards in Asia. I mean, potentially he can get some bias judging. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, and yeah, dude, I just he's he's what plus two fifty now. That's insane. Um, so yeah, I I like Song Kanan, but I mean it all depends on your style of gambling too. Like I I take I take shots on plus two hundreds all the time, and I lose a lot of them. You know what I mean? But sometimes sometimes we hit them like Sean O'Malley, and if I think there's value on a line, I always bet it. And you know that's just my aggressive nature with it, but. Who knows? He could get sparked. He could get owned. But I wasn't that impressed with Bedoya in his Chaos Williams fight. And, you know, like like I talk about all the time, um, you know, we see it all the time where in losing efforts, fighters get massively overrated in their next fight. And I think that's what we have here again. So I'm going to I'm going to continue to attack this edge and hopefully Song Kanan has some durability left in him and um, he can. He can squeak this one out for me. I feel you. Uh, shout out to the sharpest chat in the game. It seems like our chat is very overwhelmingly on the Bedoya side here. Trains at Shootbox, better grappler. Price is good on song at market overcorrection. I got the plus 250 play. Damn, Mark, you hit me with the, the uh, M. Night Shyamalan twist there at the end, and I love it, brother. So I feel like there is some value uh, on the money line here for the Song Kanan side. It's been around the UFC for a while. Again, people can say Ian Gary, Soy Boy, whatever. There were some some uh, comments negative about him, but I feel like he's a guy that's just looked pretty clean in most of his fights. Uh, the fights where he got tagged, normally they ended early. He was uh, willing to exchange with like a Williams, for example, and put him down in the first round. But even the Gabe Green fight, he absorbed like 90 significant strikes, never looked like he was in danger in that fight. The only person who really rocked him and had him on the ropes is, uh, you know, our guy, Son Kanan. So shout out to him. Still putting in the work. Um, he's listed out of Tiger Muay Thai, but I think he's done some training in the U.S. as well. So, um, Song Kanan, been around the game for a long time. I don't think he's a complete pushover. Probably looking at the plus 250, but I will investigate a little bit more and do some more due diligence. Back to the correct order of the card, guys. We got Toshiomi Kazama taking on Garrett Armfield at 135 pounds in the next one here. And I went back and watched some Garrett Armfield footage. He doesn't seem like a bad fighter. He's got some decent boxing, but he does seem like a guy who's susceptible on the mat. And in this matchup, that seems like the wrong place to be susceptible. You know, he's a guy that's been putting in some work. Uh, I think he's training at Marathon MMA with Trey Ogden and those guys. I think he's done some cross training uh, elsewhere, but he doesn't seem to me like a guy who is, you know, head and shoulders above his opponents. He, he doesn't seem like a very um, big guy either. Uh, I know he was at 145 when he fought Onama, kind of got big brother there. But I went back and watched the fight with, I'm pulling up the gentleman's name right now, the Mateo Vogel fight back in 2021. That was a bantamweight fight. I thought Vogel looked much bigger. He was beating Vogel's ass and Vogel still was able to take him down multiple times and finish him in the second round there. So um, I just think he's got a little bit of susceptibility to the back attacks. And I think against an opponent like this, that could be uh, really dire. How do you feel about this one, Rich? Yeah, I think this is a good um, underdog opportunity, man. I've seen a couple of people on Armfield, and I'm not really with it, to be honest. Um, you kind of mentioned everything that needed to be said. You know, in his debut, he took on Onama, 145, wrong weight class and all that. 
And, that, and that's all very well. And I don't think much of Kazama. I don't think he moves his head off the center line. I think he's very hittable. He doesn't really have striking. He's pretty much a jiu-jitsu guy who wants to take you down and get his submission. Um, but I think that's very live here, man. I'm suspect of him being on the steroids. Um, I don't like the travel for Armfield. It is a 20-hour flight. It's in Singapore. Um, heat, uncomfortable, all that shit. Um, but yeah, even his regional record isn't good, Armfield. He fought a guy called Mark Slyter. Uh, in, in 2021 uh, and it went to a split decision and that guy's trash man like if you're still doing that in 2021 I, I can't be betting on you um, I wanted to give him you know some credence for the loss to Anama because it was up a weight but he was still doing them same things on the regionals man once you get him down it seems like he breaks he like admits defeat he's good at like holding you off for a little bit like you mentioned in the Vogel fight he, you know he negated the takedowns but as soon as he did get taken down it seemed like the energy was just zapped from him. He kind of gives up his neck a little bit as he's getting back to his feet. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to take a shot on the underdog here, man. I like Kazama. That makes two of us. Pepe, does it make three of us? Or what do you think about this one? Nah, boys, sorry. I'm on the I'm on the <laughs> other side. Seems like, seems like me and Rich have been on the, the opposite sides of every fight except for Yeah, some. don't mention our record, man. Oh, no, 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 I won't. Um... So what I like about Armfield is he's way better on the feet. His striking is way crisper and his, his takedown defense is, is really good. He has really solid takedown defense and Kazama doesn't even have good takedowns himself. Um, and Kazama has a, Kazama has a shitty chin. Um, so he's going to be, he's going to get, he's going to be live to be knocked out. Um, and yeah, I just don't really see how he's going to get Armfield to the ground. Um, I I guess my only concern would be as if Armfield gassed out like late in the fight. But you know the the Mateo Vogel dude that you had brought up earlier who um, submitted him, um, he's going to be on Contender Series next week actually. So um, like he's he's a solid. I better look fighter. into him then. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fighting another really solid dude too. Um so yeah, and the the split decision Armfield had it doesn't look good, but I thought I thought he won that really clean. I don't really know why that was a split because yeah. That was a solid win. Um so yeah, I I, I like Armfield. I think he has the the physical tools to um to cleanly beat Kazama and get the knockout. Yeah, I was going to say, I lean towards the under two and a half rounds here. I'm seeing it at a minus 155. I feel like Kazama, if he loses his fight, he's probably getting face planted. You know, Garrett Armfield, even in that fight against Vogel, he had his opportunities. His, the guy's face looked like a you know pile of mush. Um, so I do think that, you know, he lands good shots. He kind of picks his shots well to, uh, you know, avoid wrestling at times. He'll throw some uppercuts. He'll throw some good shots that, you know, keep wrestlers guessing and keep them uh, a little bit on their toes. But I kind of just envision like a, a random standing back take. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like he's going to end up throwing a big right hand and the guy's just going to pop up on his back and be tricky there. So uh, that's kind of the, the read that I have, but does make me lean towards the under. You're seeing a lot of uh, respect for the Armfield KO line here at like plus 255 and below. And then plus 350 for the underdog here to win by sub. I think the bookmakers kind of letting you know that they're uh, seeing two clear paths for this fight to end uh, inside the distance. So for me, 
leaning towards that under. Yeah, I like I like the under two and a half as well. I've just seen that line. I do think it's pretty much how we say, or it's how Pepe says, it's one or the other man. He's either going to get knocked out because he don't move his head or he's going to in some way get a back take or some shit, man. Yeah, and I'm not sure that I trust the uh, cardio of Kazama either. You know, I felt like he kind of slowed down a little bit in some of the fights that I saw. So um, that could be another path to to the finish opening up if he spends himself in the grappling and doesn't get it. Um, but I do think he's going to try. I think he knows that his path here is not to stand on the feet with this guy. It's to try and grab a hold of him. So should be fun. Next up, we've got Waldo Cortez Acosta taking on Lukas Breski. Speaking of guys in Poland that have been working at Ankos MMA, trying to get that wrestling a little bit better, Lukas Breski, another guy you see in the pictures with our guy, Michal Olesheshek. And I think that Lukas Breski is an interesting uh, you know, test case, right? He comes into the UFC uh, off of a very greasy uh, contender series. His result with Dylan Potter was overturned. Um, Dylan Potter, uh, with all due respect, not a very high-level fighter. Um, probably not the right size either to compete there lost the split decision to Martin Budai and Martin Budai tough guy to look good against went out there, landed a bunch of shots. Um, did seem to slow down a little bit in that fight, but fought through till the end. He's gone to decision now twice in a row. Um, you know, with Carl Williams, Carl's a guy that can wrestle. He's not a very good grappler. He's not a very good finisher, but he's just got physical tools. He's got intangibles and he goes out there, puts guys on their back. And most guys don't know how to wrestle at the weight class. So that's where he made his bread and butter. But I like to see Bresky working on his wrestling. I like to see him improving in the areas where he struggled. Now, Waldo Cortez Acosta, he's not going to leverage those same tools. He's not going to primarily wrestle and grapple anybody. He likes to box. He likes to skirt around the outside. He likes to throw the jab. I don't think he's a very dynamic finisher. I feel like there's been opportunities for him to finish that he's just left on the table. You know, he's more than happy to dance around for 15 minutes, uh, salsa boying on the outside, kind of just throwing the jab and, you know, making faces at you. So I don't like those kind of guys. I prefer people who are a little bit more damaging, a little bit more uh, aggressive by and large. And I think that Bresky, probably the slightly more aggressive guy on the feet between these two. I do think he's a little more liable to slow down, but I feel like this is going to be a very greasy close fight. I don't think Waldo should be this wide of a favorite. I liked when we were seeing Waldo at shorter prices against worse fighters. And I just think that this is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit too bullish here for a guy that was out wrestled by Marcos Ogeria de Lima for a guy that has gone out there and had very competitive striking rounds with terrible fighters. He's got skill. He's got some upside. You could see that he's a little more athletic than the average guy at heavyweight, but he's just not putting it all together uh, at a, at a rate that I would justify this uh, money line price. How do you feel about this one, Rich? Yeah, I do think the money line for Acosta is a little wide, but I do like him to win here. I do think he's the side. Um, I see that Bretsky is wrestling from Instagram, but I just think it's going to be more detrimental to him, man, unless he's back on the steroids. Um, I don't think he'd be successful with it. Um, I liked Acosta against Lima um, in that respect. I know he got taken down in round one and two, but... Lima's a big fucker, man. And once you're down, usually people don't get back up. We saw that with Morris. Um, what's his name? Morris Green. Is that right? Is that, that don't sound right. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think Acosta can negate the, the takedowns. I think he will finally get a KO in the UFC. Uh, it's about plus 200, plus 220. Um, and like I say, I just think the takedown attempts from Bretsky will be more detrimental to him than it will Acosta. Um, so I think he finds a KO at some point, man. Love it. How do you feel about this one, Peppy? <laughs> um, I actually completely agree with what Rich said. Um, yeah, I, I hope Reshke wrestles early because then he's just gonna gas out quicker. Um, but I don't I don't have anything on 
the flight yet. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to play it, but the way I envision it is um, Acosta getting the knockout in either rounds two or three. And I, I can, I've seen like everyone and their mom wanting to play the overs and GTD. And every time that happens in a heavyweight fight, there's always a, like an earlier finish. Like it happened with the Boudet um, fight against uh, what the hell is his name? Last time I was on this show, when I called yeah, the, the, Kimura. The, the trash can. Yeah, you did call yeah. the exact sub. Credit yeah. to you, brother. So it, it kind of feels like another situation like that where um, there's going to be another finish and everyone's going to have the over. And so, yeah, um, I'll go um, Waldo round two knockout. So maybe I'll play like the round two or three knockout, just kind of small, just to have a little action on it. I don't hate that shot, but honestly, I, I just I'm not super sold on this. You know what's absolutely gutting, boys, is looking back and seeing that I bet Boudet by sub against fucking Bresky and then didn't go back to the well against that other scrub jabroni. So um just not not ideal there. But in any case, um, I did think that Bresky had a really suspect ground game. I thought that that was like where he could be exploited. And this just doesn't seem like an opponent that's going to do that to him. I did bet him against Dylan Potter. I thought that was kind of a layup. I laid him in a parlay. Y'all know me. I'm not a big parlay guy, but I was like, minus 255. How does he lose this one? Uh, Dylan Potter's not very good. So it just seemed like um, when you look at a guy like Bresky, he's not a guy that's been put in in the easiest of positions. But I do think that this is a winnable-ish fight. Not a bullish fight, not a bullish take for me, but just I, I would not be laying the chalk here personally. Um, I, I think Waldo's a little bit one note for me. Can he well, improve on that? Yes. But I think he's a little bit one note with the boxing. Yes. I think the Go thing, th another thing with Waldo is he he's so young into his MMA career that, you know, 100. we might be seeing like some, some biggish improvements from time to, t from fight to fight. So that's another, some, that's another thing that you kind of are banking on if you're uh, playing Waldo. For sure. In fact, let me look at Waldo and just see how long he's been out of the octagon. As a matter of fact, only 117 days. So he's staying really active, getting a lot of fights in. That is something you like to see from one of these younger guys. So more power to him. But with that being said, boys, let's move on to this next fight here where we've got the main card kicking off. And so as we kick off the main card, just want to ask the 100 people rocking with us live, drop a like on this video, get subscribed if you're not already, because we got more fights to break down each and every week on this channel. And we're glad to have you joining the sharpest chat in the game. So with that being said, Junior Tafa taking on Parker Porter. Parker Porter, a guy that I like. He follows me on Instagram. Very nice guy. Cool guy. Local-ish guy. Connecticut's own. Did show up in shape for his last fight, which I think is to his credit, right? He had kind of been showing up, looking a little doughy, looking like maybe he was a little disinterested. I bet the last Tafa to fight him with the correlated parlay, right? The under one and a half rounds. It was plus 200, Tafa and under one and a half rounds. He absolutely delivered on that one. But I think that that Tafa brother, a little bit more violent with his finishing, a little bit more reckless with his offense, and also super stout, you know, kind of one of these guys that's built like a pair, you know, not really easy to wrap a hold of him towards the base. And so I felt like that was going to be tough for Parker. You know, you look at Parker Porter trying to take down the Alain Badoza of the division, and he's really struggling. So I'm like, oh, God, like his his strength and physicality just doesn't translate at the heavyweight division against real athletes. But he's got skill. Right. And skill can take you to a couple different places. It can win you some fights. I looked at this fight on paper and I felt like it's a gross fight. Um, I don't feel as bullish on this Tafa brother as I did on the last Tafa brother uh, against Parker. 
And I do think that Parker with one takedown could easily change the complexion of this fight. I feel like Tafa's probably a little fish-like off his back, but it's just not a fight I feel super bullish on. The money line price of like plus 120 on a guy who's like 14 years older or 12 years older or whatever it is and Parker Porter, that's not going to get me up out of bed either. So um, I feel like Parker is a live dog, but not not enough to uh, pull the trigger here. Rich, how do you feel? Yeah, I think some of it stinks about this fight, man. I think it's too easy to say, you know, the other Taffer brother knocked him out. It's going to be the same um, kind of thing. So I am wary of it uh, and the line also. Um, it's not what I would expect at all. Um, I would expect the Taffer to be around minus 200. He's not. You can get him minus 140 on some books. Um, but yeah, in terms of the fight, um, I think Taffer being all of um, six foot three is going to be a problem to Parker's six foot um, being the bigger guy. Um, he's a former glory kickboxer. Um, he's pretty solid in his stand-up. He just had an unfavorable matchup in his debut against Mohamed Usman, who wanted to take him down, obviously, uh, and he's likely still on the juice. Um, he's known to the Asian market. Um, he's fought in Risen before. I don't know whether that matters to the UFC. Maybe that's why he's on this card. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe that's why Yeri headlined last time in Singapore. Just saying. Yeah, if you like your narratives, um, maybe maybe that's for you. Um, but yeah, everything tells me that Taffy should win by knockout. But like I say, I'm just wary of it. So I don't know if I'm going to bet. But um, I won't be betting on um, Parker Porter. Um, I don't like the flight either. Obviously, he's got a 20-hour flight. Um, Taffy's got a six-hour one. Um, I think that matters in this fight. But like that I said, I think Taffy... last time too, Rich, uh, when he yeah. and Taffy fought um, against Parker Porter, he had to fly halfway across the world. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, like I say, I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger, but Taffer's the side in my opinion. Fair play. Peppy, do you agree, disagree? How do you feel about this one? Um, Yeah, so I was looking into this one and I, I was originally thinking that I was going to play Parker Porter, you know, just, you know, I started watching the watching the Usman fight back and just the ease in which Usman was holding him up against the fence and Taffa didn't know how to separate himself and to, it was basically let like three and a half minutes straight just go by nothing being done just being held up against the fence and controlled like surely parker porter can do that right but then when when he did have some distance he he's got some really nice elbows and he he rocked usman with with a super nice elbow that i could definitely see him landing on parker porter um and, like, I don't really know how good Usman's chin is. Like, he was kind of put on chicken legs um, after he got hit. So, it kind of led me to believe that if he lands something like that on Parker Porter, he's probably going to knock him out. Um, so, yeah, I, the whole fight is a pass. Um, I was thinking about playing the under, but then um, if Parker's just holding him up against the cage, I don't want to just, like be furious with my under one and a half and Tafa can't get, get away from the cage or anything. And he's just getting stalled out. But I think, I think it probably does go under one and a half. Um, I'm going to think about that one a little further because if, if Parker Porter gets Tafa down and like ends up mounting him, like the finish is probably going to come shortly after and I could easily see Tafa landing um, an elbow and knocking out Porter in round one. So the books are onto it, though. Tafa, round one KO is plus 200. Definitely not going to play that. 
So. And last time I got Tafa, the other Tafa brother, and the under one and a half at plus two hundred. So now they're taking away two minutes and all the uh, all the submission equity, right? Like they, yeah. they're getting a, a lot smarter to that angle for sure. Yeah. So I, I, if anything, I'll play the under one and a half, but I don't have anything right now. I'm just passing for now. Fair enough, my man. I think this fight does kind of scream pass. It screams gross fight. Um, I said in my write up here that as far as I could tell, Tafa stinks. You know, it didn't didn't mean it in like the worst way. Just like as a guy in where you rate him in the division, I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's got the brightest uh, future. I don't think he's got the highest upside. But that doesn't mean he can't beat Parker Porter. I didn't think any of those things about his brother, but it just seemed like the right matchup on paper. So I'll look at a little bit more of the striking dynamic. People are talking about the the confidence of Parker Porter. He is more confident because he came in shape for his last fight, right? That is going to give you more confidence. He got the win. He's not coming off a string of losses. That's going to make you more confident. But is it going to bridge the gap of athleticism and age and these kind of things? I don't necessarily think it does. But to your points, Pepe, the reason I don't feel bullish about a total, I feel like Parker Porter has takedown upside, cage push equity. Like he just has different ways that he can stop this fight from happening. And he's a big dude, like comes in at like 265, it just seems like he can lean on him and make it an ugly fight. So not a fight that I want to be invested in. Yeah. You know what? Sorry. Do you know what's wild to me is that we've got two heavyweight fights. You got Taffer by KO in round one um, plus 200. And then on the other side, you got Acosta who's like a minus 250 favorite and his KO in round one is almost plus 600. Um, don't make sense to me. I'll be taking some fucking Acosta one and two, man. Fair enough, man. It, and it's also weird that Tafa went from losing on a prelim to opening up a main card. Like, yeah, that is just suspicious card um, placement. Um, it's definitely a showcase fight. So, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't all add up. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's looking to me like Parker Porter um, probably gets flatlined again. Just looking at some of the numbers on paper. Um, but I'm yeah. rooting for my guy, Parker. Nice guy, uh, likable character. I think he's even training with the guys in Connecticut. But um, it didn't go so well for Glover Teixeira when he went to Singapore. You don't follow me on better Twitter. Fighter, so. Oh, it's not on Twitter. Only on the IG, bro. But if you oh, okay. if you go show Parker some love on IG, I bet he'll follow you back. <laughs> I'm good. I feel you. In any case, we've got next up the fight that is uh, the people's main event of the week, I, I would argue. Aaron, cold-blooded Blanchfield, New Jersey, New York, stand-up, Beast Coast in the building, taking on Talia Santos, plus 400s in the trash. We wanted that ticket. We thought we had that ticket. We thought we were fading Shevchenko. We had to go back to the well twice. It's all good. But in any case, Talia Santos, I thought, went out there, made a good account of herself against Shevchenko, went out there, got the takedowns. But guys... Valentina Shevchenko is the most overrated wrestler in the history of women's MMA. Okay. I'm going to say it if nobody else will. She got taken down by Jennifer Maya. She got taken down because of her own mistakes multiple times by Talia Santos. Multiple times. I had told people at the time and I meant it. Now the lines would be totally skewed, but I would have sold my car to bet on fucking Aaron Blanchfield against uh, Shevchenko plus money. I would have sold my car. I would have done whatever it took. I would have tried to get as much as I possibly could on this fight. Do you understand? Like, I was confident that Aaron Blanchfield would take her down and submit her ass. And you know what we saw? Alexa Grasso, who hasn't been doing jujitsu as long and it wasn't as sound on the ground, did the same thing that we thought was going to happen. So her grappling, her wrestling is completely overrated. Now that we've gotten that established, was it still impressive for Talia Santos to go out there and get in that work? Yes. Did she go 15 minutes without finishing Molly McCann on the mat? 
Yes. So let's not get it twisted. Let's not get out of out of our mind on on how good she is. Her finishing mechanics from the back needed work. I felt like in that fight, she had many opportunities. She's like getting the the choke locked in and putting the hand on top of the head where it could be easily peeled. Like she did that multiple times where she could have tucked behind the head. Maybe the fight's over. Maybe we're having a different conversation, but she's keeping it right here where it can be defended. So just a few fundamental mistakes. Now, in terms of the narrative coming into this one, boys, why has Talia Santos not been fighting? I'll leave that one to you guys, but uh, it's it's been something that's been on my mind. Like, man, Talia Santos should have probably gotten a media title shot, but they didn't do that. They kept having all these different uh, you know, iterations. Then they had the Blanchfield fight schedule that got canceled, rebooked. And now it's back to the scene of the crime, guys, where she got robbed blind by the judges in Singapore last time out, uh, according to me, because I had the plus 400. But in any case, it was a very close fight, right? And it's in Singapore. She's going right back to the scene of the crime. I don't like it for her. Give me Aaron Blanchfield, cold-blooded as could be. Rich, how do you feel? Shit, I got so much to say, man. I don't know where to fucking start. Um, yeah, first of all, um, shout out to Moises on Twitter. He pointed out the legal troubles Santos was going through. Um, she's having visa troubles. That's why she can't fight in the US. Um, and that's why she's in Singapore. Um, one of the few places she can fight. Um, she didn't pay her trainers from the Shevchenko fight or something. Um, so she's going through some legal troubles. But yeah, in terms of the fight, um, Blanchfield got there on the 7th in Singapore. Um, Santos flew out on the 20th, almost a week later with her family. She's taking a kid for a little vacation. Seems like this is a holiday for her. Um, I don't like to see that if I'm I'm a Santos backer, uh, which I'm not because I think she's shit. Um, I knew coming into this uh, fight, everybody was going to point to the Shevchenko fight. Uh, everyone was going to point to the takedowns from JJ Aldrich in the Blanchfield and say, oh, JJ took Blanchfield down with the body lock takedowns. You don't think that Santos can do that when she went five rounds with a champ? Uh, and the answer is no, I don't think she can. Um, maybe she gets one or two, but I think just like in the Aldrich fight, Blanchfield is popping back up or she's working off her back with a jiu-jitsu, which she always does. Um, she doesn't just stay still uh, and allow you to uh, blanket her and win minutes, win the round, which is what Santos wants to do. We've seen it in the Shevchenko fight. The ref even stood him up at one point. I can't remember what round. It was like three or four. But she doesn't work when she's on top. Um, and it, it, it's disgusting. I don't like to see it, man. People talk about her BJJ credentials. I don't think she's that good of a submission artist. I think she's been fighting bums like Joanne Calderwood or uh, Roxy when she was all the fucking 50 years old. Um, so I don't like her wins. Um, what else don't I like about her? I think the stand-up is going to be all Blanchfield. I think it's going to um, be tenacity from her volume from her if you look at the stats strikes landed per minute um they all favor blanchfield she's got a nice left high kick which she's uh, caught people out with before on the regional scene and like some complete moron on twitter was saying i'm not going to mention his name give him the clout he was saying oh santos is an awesome wrestler you're gonna you're gonna see her put on like a clinic or whatever the fuck she's not a good wrestler she's an okay grappler she did have the body like take down of on shevchenko but as you mentioned, Shevchenko is overrated in the wrestling and grappling. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a big difference between wrestling and grappling. And I think uh, Blanchfield is just levels ahead in both departments, man. Um, like I say, I think Santos may have a little bit of success with the body lock takedowns. She is on steroids. I have no doubt about that. 
uh, go look at her IG and a, a fella. I'm sure he's the one supplying them because he's just ripped as fuck. He's this big bodybuilder. Dude, um, he is literally Brazilian Jamal Hill, and I thought the exact <laughs> same thing. I was like, if if this girl is not getting steroids from her husband, I don't know who is. It's disgusting, bro. The cardio she was showing in the um, Shevchenko fight, there's no doubt in my mind she's on it, but let her take what the fuck she wants. Um, I think Erin is belt-bound. I do think she's going to be the next champ at 125, and I think Santos is just a stepping stone uh, for that to be happening, man. So, yeah, I like Blanchfield a little bit. So I do not think that Santos is a bad wrestler, but I just think in all things, there's a little bit of levels. And I think that the level of wrestling from Aaron Blanchfield is very high. She's been doing it from a very young age. She's been doing it in the Northeast. New York boys and girls will teach you how to wrestle once again. That is always the goal. And uh, I think that Aaron has a superior wrestling pedigree. I don't think Santos is bad. I think she'll wrestle a lot of girls in the division, but I just think there's maybe that one step above her in the wrestling. In the grappling, I think it's, not close. I actually think that Aaron is far superior in the grappling, but the difference I think about Santos and the reason why as a huge Aaron supporter, this was the last fight I wanted for her in the top five. is just the physicality, right? Santos is a big, strong girl. That's why I picked her against Val. I was like, maybe she's not even going to be more technically sound, but she's just strong. She's a hoss. She'll move people around. I think against Aaron, a lot harder to do that. So Peppy, how do you feel about this one? Do you think New York and New Jersey zone gets it done? Or do you like the Brazilian underdog here? I know me and you have had to stop Brazilian hate many times in the past, but uh, hang, you know, this time on, it's a little closer to my heart, you know, <laughs> just before Pepe goes, let me ask you about that. Then you don't think there's a difference between like wrestling and grappling. You think maybe we're going to see some single legs, some blast doubles from um, Santos in the, in the fight. Cause I haven't seen that in many of her other bites. Well, she did. She took down uh, what's her name and easily outgrappled her, uh, Molly McCann, and a few of these girls. But I think, again, it's mostly physicality. It's not like her technique is insane, but she does have the right idea. She gets under hooks, she grabs a hold of people. And when you have strength and physicality, your wrestling speed is not normally going to be there, right? She's a little bit taller. I don't think her shot takedowns would be as effective, frankly, right? Like she's got to bring the leg up higher to get her down. Whereas if you've got real strength in a body lock, you want to grab a hold of somebody as fast as you can and muscle them over to the ground or uh, force them to like drag an arm past your head. So like lift up and over and then pop out behind them. I do think she's good at that. But again, I just think it's Aaron Blanchfield will not allow that to happen. Her reaction time, I think is a little too fast um, in those transitions. So I think that Aaron Blanchfield doesn't look as strong as she is. Whereas Talia Santos looks every bit as strong as she is, in my opinion. So I think that's the other difference is like you look at Aaron Blanchfield, you go, oh, she looks young. She looks a little susceptible. I think you get the feel for Aaron Blanchfield and you're like, holy smokes, like this girl is really strong. How do you think, Peppy? Okay. Yeah, I think this is the first fight where we all agree on the same fighter. So let's fucking go Blanchfield, <laughs> fucking cold blooded in the house. Show these motherfuckers what's up and how I just have. I just have this vision of this fight and I think it's going to be one, one going into the third. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling a, a round three crucifix KO for Blanchfield. The number is absolutely massive. It's like plus 4,500 for the round three KO. Maybe I'll sprinkle some round two KO in there as well. But um, I love her decision-making in fights. When something doesn't work, she always adjusts. She listens to her coaches. Um, and her bottom game is much better than Santos, too. I trust her ability to make things happen when she's on the bottom. 
a lot more than Tyla. If if Aaron gets Tyla down, um, she's I don't think she's going to be able to get back up. But I think Aaron would be able to create scrambles to get herself back up. Although Tyla does have really good top pressure, that's one of her best qualities is her strength that she does. But she doesn't do much. She just creates a physical barrier on top where it's difficult to escape, but she doesn't do any damage. She doesn't really hunt submissions that much. Um, whereas I, I like Aaron's ability to create scrambles from bottom. I like her um, decision-making in fight. And um, yeah, I just, I like her, her resolve and, you know, I like her swagger, her attitude, you know, I just like her to get it done, you know, be more angry want it more i think santos let that that flight just pat just slip through her fingertips and that was just like obviously it was impressive but you know you and i called that being a close fight she could have easily won that and just accepted defeat a little bit um so yeah i i i like blandfield to get it done Think about Aljo, and I know right now he's not very uh, warmly, uh, you know, fondly remembered in everybody's mind, right? But what made him so special was that he takes Jan down, he gets the back body triangle, but he left no doubt about who won the round. Sometimes we have these rounds, like think of uh, Andre Feely and Bill Algeo, right? Where it's like one guy has the back, but the other guy's controlling the wrist and punching him over the shoulder. And some MMA fans are like, hey, I don't know if you think about the damage and whatever. So Aljo left no doubt, right? He grabs a hold of the wrist when he's on top of Piotr Jan and starts elbowing him in the back of the head. He starts trying to get on top posture, go for a choke attempt, choke attempt. Make sure that the round is yours. To your point, I thought that she did everything right in the wrestling, the grappling. She got on top. She got to every good position. She made no use of it. She didn't ever leverage that to damage her opponent. And so then who looked more damaged after the fight? It was her, despite her having control for 15 minutes of the fight, basically. It's like, that for me was the flaw. Here's the other flaw. One finish in the UFC. Joanne Wood. Joanne Wood. She hasn't had a very good run lately. Right, guys? Right? Yeah, Not she, very good. Yeah. Everyone knows Joanne Wood loves getting choked. Common opponent, Molly McCann, right? How did they deal with her? One girl went to a decision, beat her up, you know, got to her positions. One girl disrespected her, took her down, dominated her physically, and finished her in the first round like she was nobody. That's what I saw. So give me Aaron Blanchfield. Cold-blooded, baby. Yeah, and somebody in the chat was talking about why hasn't the line move. It, it has a little bit. It's fluctuated uh, throughout the week. But I think it's purely because uh, the recency bias, like I said, I think the square narrative is um, Santos nearly beat uh, Shevchenko and JJ Aldrich took um, Blanchfield down. And for some people, that's enough to put a bet on Santos at the uh, dog odds. It's enticing, isn't it? Plus 130. Um, but they're fucking wrong and they're going to lose money. So, Well, I wish everybody the best here, but it's always going to be an Aaron Blanchfield program on this show. Uh, I'm a fan of her work. I know girls that have trained with her personally, uh, girls that I train jiu-jitsu with, and they've told me the stories from the training room back in the day. This girl's been good for a very long time. She's been known as a talent since she was 14, 15 years of age, and I think that the world is still getting to know just how good she is. She was winning the EBIs as a purple belt, submitting black belts when she was like, 17, 18, I believe. She's a hammer. So, yeah, Amir yeah. Blanchfield, I think yeah. she's better than people realize. The K- the KO line is juicy, too. Yeah. You like that, you like that Rich? Yeah, a lot, man. I like the TKO. Any, anyway, I listened to an interview today, and she's talking about she wants to finish. Um, but she alluded to not uh, wrestling and grappling. Um, I can't quote her exactly. 
Um, but to me, it said she's going to try and stand in this one and showcase her striking skills, which I don't mind. I think she is the better striker. Um, and I do think late TKO is uh, is on, man. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and she's been doing Muay Thai for a very long time. She's not just a jiu-jitsu girl. I think that's also a little bit of a misconception. I think she was easily outstriking Jessica Andrade on the feet uh, before she took that fight to the ground. And then her finishing instincts were there, right? When she took it to the ground. Same thing with the uh, the Aldrich fight that a lot of people criticize her for. I felt like she was looking a little bit out of sorts there, got her composure back, got the finish in brutal fashion. So I just liked everything I've seen from her so far. No reason to doubt her yet. And I think overall she has a better body of work in the UFC. So give me Aaron Blanchfield. Next up, Rinya Nakamura is taking on Fernie Garcia. And Rinya Nakamura is a fun and exciting guy. Going back and watching his highlight tape, he's got real athleticism. He's got power in his hands. Seems like a fun finisher. Seems like a guy who brings the energy, brings the pace every time out. Fernie Garcia seems like a guy who wants to be there. You know, tough enough guy. Just seems like he's in over his head a little bit uh, against some of these UFC level fighters came in with a lot of hype, a lot of praise off the regional scene said that he got too cocky, thought his takedown defense was going to hold up all these things says he's been working on it. I liked his interview. Seems like a nice humble enough kid. I just think that he's going to need to take some time, go back to the regional scene, kind of retool his game. I think to compete at this level, because right now he doesn't mix in the wrestling and the grappling very much pretty one note with the striking in terms of his boxing and his boxing hasn't even carried him to success so far in the UFC. He's been in competitive striking exchanges. He's been taken down a number of times. I think Nakamura could pick this guy up, turn him sideways and throw him over his head if he wanted to. Uh, Nakamura is insanely strong. You see some of the takedowns he gets. He grabs a hold of a guy for a double and then levers his head into them. And the guy goes completely sideways. Like you could just tell he has a, a much more fluid motion to his wrestling than most UFC fighters. So I think Nakamura is dangerous. I think the sub is too wide at plus 400, but I think he's a dangerous guy who's probably going to try and knock out uh, Fernie Garcia. And I wouldn't put it past him, but Fernie does tend to be a guy who's tough. I don't think he's going to be easy to put away. Uh, I think he's going to want to stay in there if he gets hurt. And that could leave Nakamura with an opportunity to submit him. So um, Nakamura just seems like a violent guy. You know, I don't, I don't know that I want to get too invested because he could definitely win by knockout, but just seems like, you got one guy who's an A plus athlete and one guy who's like a you know C C plus athlete and just doesn't seem like that's a good uh, matchup for him. Rich, how do you feel, brother? Yeah, we agree, man. Uh, even on the submission for Nakamura, I don't think you should be taking the uh, KO at minus two hundred subs plus three hundred. Um, it's a no brainer for me. The money line is wild um, as fuck, but I do think he wins. Um, I think he's the one we mentioned earlier. He's been at ATT. Um, training there. I do think he's a fade in the future, though, Nakamura. He does have some, um, you know, physical abilities and he's a good wrestler, but his striking is a bit predictable, man. He throws his uh, right jab, uh, the one-two, and then finish, finishes with the left. But um, he's very predictable with it, and uh, it's rinse and repeat, um, to be honest. Like, he finished that uh, Kazama kid um, on the China show. But yeah, Fernie Garcia, he's never been out of uh, the U.S., USA um flying to Singapore not good I think he's just a body here for um Nakamura and like I say man I think it's a no-brainer to take the sub in this situation um I think he I think he has got a bit of a chin on him Garcia um so I think when the one twos aren't working he will eventually go for a takedown and uh hopefully he goes for one of them Kimuras um that he had on the uh the road to UFC one so yeah anyway I like Nakamura man rambling on a bit here. you know what i found interesting here as i kick this to my guy peppy it's just that uh his father owned the shuto gym in um uh oh my goodness it's the place where 
Oh, I, oh God, is it Yusaka? In, in any case, he owned like uh, a martial arts studio, right? So the kid grew up in a martial arts gym and then got world class in wrestling. So he's yeah. not like a normal prospect, like, oh, just a guy. No, he's very, he's high level. He's been around mixed martial arts his whole life and his wrestling is legitimately world-class. So I just think that that, that separates him from a lot of prospects. I think that's why he's being priced uh, accordingly. Pepe, how do you feel about this guy? And do you think he gets to win? Um, I do think he gets the win, but um, I actually approached it differently than you guys. Um, I think he's going to win by decision. Um, plus 400. Um you know, it's 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 a decent step up in competition for him. Um, and Fernie's got a chin, and he's never been finished. I don't know why we have to assume that um, Rinya is definitely just going to run through him. Like, sure, it's possible that he does finish him, but um, I I do think that the decision is quite live. And I was going to play goes the distance, but. Just with how bad Fernie's takedown defense is, I don't really see him um, winning a decision here. And um, Nakamura does have a decision win on his um, on his record. I don't think it's just like a given that he's going to run through him. Um, but, I mean, he might definitely. But I think at plus 400, um, it, it was worth a half unit shot for me. I feel you, brother. Uh, the guy that he went to decision with had 30 professional fights and he fought him when he was three and oh. So I think that's one thing where like these two guys are almost like similar in terms of their amount of experience. But I just think that like the class and the level of athleticism is way different. So that's why I feel like Rinya's got a uh, finishing upside here. But I do, I see what you're saying, you know, and if he slows down at all, he could just result in going to takedowns, kind of parking it on top. I feel like he could do that in a matchup like this. So I don't hate the shot, but for me, I do think Nakamura is going to end up finishing here. Um, I know Fernie's not been finished, right? I always talk about, I prefer proof of concept. That's why I'm not laying the minus 300 ITD in this spot. But I do think when you're talking about a plus 390 sub on a guy who I think, number one, no uh, finish loss it shows. He's a tough guy. He's not just looking for a way out. But I think he's going to be outskilled and outphysical here. And when that's the case, I think it opens up sub opportunities. So probably just a quarter unit shot right. or something like that for me. He also he also doesn't have any finishes past five and a half minutes into a fight. So you know, what are the finish? What's the finishing upside going to be? You know, minute eight into the fight. You know, that's it's a, it's a good that, question. That's an but unknown. I, I feel like the the thing about a guy like this with the wrestling and the grappling, the danger is wrestlers uh, wrestle for six minutes, right? Especially in international styles, that's it. So you got to push for that six minutes, to your point, all of the finishes coming in that wrestling window. But I do think that if you have dominant wrestling and you can get on top of somebody, they could break at any point in the fight. And I do think that when you have like, the physical uh, dominance, like, uh, you could advance like, position. Yes. Like Dalgarian over uh, Francis Marshall. Precisely. And that's a kind of spot where Francis Marshall, I didn't come away from that thinking like, man, he's not good anymore. Or like he stinks. It's just like, he's this tier of athlete. This guy's this tier of athlete. And you saw what difference that made. It made a massive difference. And uh, I do think in this fight, one athlete up here, one athlete down here, I think it's going to make a big difference. Next up, we can talk about the featured bout. At 145 pounds, Giga Chikadze, longest layoff on the fight card, guys, over a year outside the octagon. Calvin Cater, plus 200, bop, 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 gave him them hands, taught him how to wrestle. Them New England boys will teach you how to wrestle just a little bit, one takedown. You know what I'm saying. But in any case, 
you know, Calvin Cater didn't catch me that ITD prop. I'm still sore, but uh, he did go out there and beat this man within an inch of his life. I mean, Giga Chikadze, tough as uh, old leather boot, had cuts down his face, was taking clean elbows, um, got outlanded there 144 to 100 some odd. So he landed his own. He, he got his licks in, but the impact just wasn't the same. When Calvin was landing, it was doing tremendous damage. I think he could be a different fighter coming back here. Uh, I had mentioned the reason, part of the reason I picked Calvin Cater to win that fight, this guy had a negative strike differential in glory. He's got good kicks. He's got good power, but he fights to split decisions in the UFC with the Jamal Embers of the world and with the freaking, uh, what's his name? Brandon, what, uh, Brandon Davis is of the world. He's not that good. He's all right. You know, they gave him some cupcake matchups, some matchups where his speed and dynamic abilities were way more, um, you know, in line with, with the matchup. Alex Caceres been around the UFC forever. A little bit shinny. That's my only uh, real concern for him here. But when you look at Alex Caceres, he has been outstruck uh, exactly zero times in the UFC by the numbers since 2017. Nobody has outlanded him in significant strikes. He got submitted by Crone Gracie and he lost a close decision to Sadiq Yusuf where he outlanded him on significant strikes. So I just look at this fight on paper and uh, somebody had asked me a while ago, who do you think is live out of this list of three? And I thought the most live was Alex Caceres, and he was the biggest underdog of the bunch. But I just looked at it and said to myself, if he pops out on his back, does he not finish him? I feel like he finishes him if he's on his back. So I'm like, okay, probably could finish if he gets on the back. Uh, he could probably be somewhat competitive with him in a striking fight. What am I missing here exactly? I, I just don't feel like Alex Caceres deserves to be a plus two ten dog. Um, I, I think maybe a little bit more athletic upside on Giga, but not a ton. These guys are around the same age. I don't know, man. It just it seems like Alex Caceres' side. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, you make a convincing argument, man. Um, I've been looking to parlay Giga with something all week um, because I don't like playing money lines that are minus two fifty. Um, but I haven't pulled the trigger on anything yet. Um, there are some concerning things, obviously the layoff, like you mentioned, the surgery for the injuries that he's had. Um, but I think Alex is taking this on short notice um, also, which isn't good. Um, I don't rate his wins. I don't think they've aged very well. Um, Pineda's old as fuck, and that was kind of a back and forth until it wasn't. Pineda was having some success. Um, Erosa, I think the best win he's got is um, Sadiq Youssef. Before that, it was Choi, who's on the card. Um, Kevin Kroom, some fucker called Springer, Jerry Springer. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I don't. Oh, you're talking there. about the last guy to beat uh, freaking Giga Chikadze, Austin Springer. Submitted. Oh him. right, they got an opponent uh, in coming, have they? Okay. Yeah, I don't think he's going to have grappling success. I think he's going to dance around the octagon, Alex. Um, try and be Bruce Lee, and uh, I expect Giga to just do a little bit more. Another thing from the narrative side, he's the only um, Ali Slees guy on the card, um, which I like. I always look for that. I think he gets favors from the UFC, um, dominance MMA and his fighters, um, especially in PFL. Whenever these guys are fighting, man, they usually win like they did last night. Um, so, yeah, Giga's the side. I just don't like the price tag. I don't know whether I'm going to parlay it still. I might just stay away. I find a, a few more bets on the card now um, that I prefer over that one. Fair enough, my man. And we've got some mixed opinion in the chat. So some people are liking the Giga minus three and a half. Some people are with me. They think Caceres might be a live dog, a potential parlay buster situation. So um, fascinating. Pepe, break the tie. What do you think, my man? Yo, so initially I was um, I was liking Caceres as an underdog, um, just given his potential grappling upside and, you know, the holes that Giga has shown and the layoff and, you know, his – um, his deficiencies, we'll say, 
However, Rich put me on to something a little earlier when he was talking about Junior Tafa fighting in Ryzen and this card being in Singapore. It got me thinking, what about glory? Who are the glory kickboxers? And I looked up, where's glory kickboxing located? Glory, formerly Glory World Series, Ultimate Glory United States, is an international kickboxing promotion based in Singapore. <laughs> I like it. The king of narrative nation. The narrative nation is, that means Parlay, Giga, and Tafa. Um, because those are the two glory kickboxers on the card. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably going to cash out of my Casera spot. Fair I'm enough, my man. I think Bruce Leroy, that, that's his uh, little narrative right that's there. That's true. But he does have the, the Leroy. The, the other thing I'll add, though, and the one thing that made me hesitant, right? Because I, I have kind of been looking at Caceres for a little while, but I've just been, you know, holding holding back. The one thing is uh, Giga Chikaze won an award for like the citizen of the year for the UFC too. Like he's kind of just been in the good graces of the company and he got that shit kicking from, um, from uh, cater. They gave him a long time off. And now it seems like they've tried to get him back in the octagon a few times. People are kind of pulling out of the fights, things like that. So I think that this is, you know, they're trying to give him a winnable fight, but I also just feel like he's a guy that I could see fumbling a bag. So for me, I, I get what the UFC is trying to do here, but, I, I think it could go either way. Uh, fun scrap. I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper and see Alex Caceres' most recent fights, how his chin has looked, because that's my biggest concern is just him getting dropped in this fight. He's been a little bit chinny in the past. I mentioned the Sungwoo Choi fight, a little bit lucky with the stoppage there, kind of gave him an opportunity to recover when he was hurt. So I think that that could be a danger here against a, a guy like Giga who can hit the head, hit the body very hard. Whilst we're doing the last two fights, can somebody in the chat go and look at the last Singapore card and see if there was any glory fighters on it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, research assignment been delegated to the chat. That, Whoever comes back with that, that will appreciate uh, you tremendously. That was a Yuri and Glover card, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Yuri Glover UFC 275. There's the hints for you guys. Uh, so if anybody comes up with that, we'll truly appreciate it. Next up, guys, co-main event, weird-ass booking. Anthony Smith, Lionheart, taking on Ryan, Superman, Span, and seems to me like the UFC trying to get Anthony Smith a win back under his belt. They gave him two fights at light heavyweight. He went out there, got finished, um, you know, low kick TKO looked very poor against Magomed and Goliath, in my view, especially down the stretch there. Didn't like the visuals of him just going down to the low kicks. Um, but in any case, he's a guy that has a long resume in the UFC. It was not two fights. It was three fights ago that he submitted Ryan Spann in the first round. By the way, rocked him multiple times. I rewatched that fight today. That was the thing that I initially was like, this fight's so gross. Like, I, I can't have anything on this fight, whatever. And then I watched it back, and I was like, holy shit. Like, how is Anthony Smith hurting him with every punch? Like, left hook, Ryan Span wobbles. Right hand, Ryan Span wobbles. I was just like, what is happening? Ryan Span seems to have one of the worst shins in the division. Um, So, hey, Sam Alvey rocked him. He got rocked multiple times by Smith in a three-minute fight. Like, he just doesn't have a good shin. I don't trust him. But Anthony Smith looks beyond shot like he looked so slow in his last fight against johnny walker he looked uh lethargic and then he's like talking to himself out there he just doesn't seem like a guy i want to trust right he's the a-side underdog by a big margin to your point rich about the private instagram that's been an on-off thing for a while with span bro and he does not like how are you going to build a social media following if you're on private that's like a, a professional fighter seems really crazy fubo shout out to you fubo you're the first one i saw pull up so no glory fighters on 275 maybe a new narrative nation play 
uh, for this upcoming UFC shout out. But in any case, guys, let's close the book on this fight. I'll pass it around to you guys. I don't have the strongest thoughts here, but I do feel like Anthony Smith by sub at plus 460 when we just fucking saw it, it's hard to ignore. The fight to end by sub is plus 150. And I'm just like, what? I mean, Ryan Spann never came close to a sub in that fight. He had one front headlock position and Anthony Smith had the perfect response, two-on-one baseball back grip, transfer it to the other side of the head. So I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like he's got one move, which is a guillotine. So if he gets it pulled to the other side, I'm like, don't don't see him finishing the sub, and it's plus 150 to end by sub. I feel like Smith probably subs him again. Um, what do you think, Rich? Fuck you know. Um, I said I was going to stay away from this fight. I was like, how can you bet one guy who hides his social media being a bitch uh, and a bit of a snowflake? And then on the other side, you've got a guy who seems to have CTE fucking talking to himself mid-fight about home invasions. Um, it's just like red flags everywhere. Stay away. But on re-watching the fight, um, I do like Smith. I don't see how you can't take him as an underdog. He won in the last fight. And I do think out of both people's problems, I'd rather fade the snowflake who at stare downs can't look you in the eye, um, you know, goes missing on social media. Um, I'm, I'm not with it, man. I don't like it. So, yeah, I do like Smith. And uh, I don't know. I just hope there's time to talk myself out of it because I should probably stay away. Um, but, yeah, what's the Smith KO and the sub? Uh, the, what was the KO line? The Smith KO. Uh, let me pull that up. My bad. I, I'm on a different fight here on Best Fight Odds. Uh, Smith KO was plus 370, and Smith by sub is plus 460. I felt like it was going to be a span KO at plus 195 or a uh, or a Smith sub at plus 460. That's kind of my gut feeling here. Yeah, well, when you go and look at Span and his record, he either wins early or he gets uh, finished in round one, man. So obviously fight doesn't go the distance. is probably good in this one. Um, the guy's Span is KO'd is Misha Serkinov, who's always been a little bit chinny. And then he jabbed Reyes on Reyes's comeback. Um, so I don't think the KO is going to be there on the Span side. Um, and yeah, if you're saying the fight ends in the distance, I don't think he can catch... Smith in a sub. I think Smith, for all of his retardness and being a bit of a rockhead and saying weird things, um, he is pretty durable, man. Look at the Glover fight. He beat the shit out of him for five rounds and it took him... Was that the fight he knocked his teeth out in? And then he, Yeah, and he just yeah. collected them and handed them to the referee. <laughs> yeah, he's just done dumb things in his career to me, Smith. Like the John Jones situation. Um, maybe I'm a fucking weasel, but I would have taken that W, man, and, and then in your next fight, take the pay-per-view point pay-per-view points and uh, change your life but he wanted to be all noble so i've never been a fan of smith but at plus 120 i, I think i'm gonna side with him man i feel that for sure uh my my thoughts here i could i summarized in short order which was gotta dig more because i don't have strong feelings smith a side underdog seems like they want him to win but the commentator curse has been real We've been talking about it a little bit on this show. The commentators come in and just don't give their best performance. Our guy Dixon Sider is going absolutely bananas in the chat. Uh, friend of the show. So appreciate you there, Dixon. And I do uh, feel where you're coming from. Also, just to your point, they do have Span by sub in round one at plus 600 and Smith by sub in round one, which was the result last time at plus 850. So oh, again, wow. the, the bookmaker is respecting Span uh, by sub here even more than they are Smith. How do you feel about this one, Peppy? Fascinating stuff. Yeah, um, I actually I don't have anything on this fight. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll dig in more. It's just such an unintriguing fight for me. You know, I I hate when they do these rematches, um, especially on like in 
an insignificant matchup like this. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Spans, since the LV fight, his last six fights have ended inside of round one. Um, and so then you, you start thinking, oh, the under, the under. But they're already on to that. The under one and a half is minus 180. It's probably good though, right? It's, I mean, 60s. Yeah. I could see like this fight going under maybe eight out of 10 times. Um, so there might be value on the under. Um, I've, I haven't really dug into the props yet though. So I don't know. I haven't had a ton of interest in this particular matchup. And so far it's just been a, a pass. There was two props that stood out to me, right? I talked about one, which was Smith by sub, but, and I know people are going to laugh at me when I say this one. Span by decision is plus 1300. Last fight out there, Anthony Smith was standing there like a fucking statue talking to himself for half the fight. I'm saying Ryan Span is definitely a gasser, but if you don't fight, then there's nothing to gas. Ryan Span did go to decision with Sam Alvey. Couldn't finish him, right? Durable guy. Hit him with some shots. Couldn't put him away. Older guy. Rough. Looks terrible. And got finished by almost everybody else. But then he went to the greasy decision. It's plus 1,300, guys. The fight to go to decision is plus 450. And Anthony Smith didn't look like a killer his last fight. He didn't look like a guy who wanted to get into a real fight with anybody. So it's just like that for me, again, most of the time it shouldn't cash. Span should knock him out in the first round or Smith should leverage his ground game. Right? But I'm just saying, when I look at that number on a guy like that, I'm like, that does seem wide for two guys that might just go out there and be, you know, deer in headlights looking at each other for much of the fight. Span can hit him from further away. I don't know. Just something to consider. Um, especially if you like the Span side uh, as a favorite, you know, He's his favorite to win the fight. He's plus thirteen hundred to win it by decision. That just yeah. seems instinctually quite wide to me. The the only reason I don't like that is I think Span's a bit of a, a mental case in there. I think if it's not going his way or he wants to check out, his first thought is let me just throw some bombs, see if I can get my KO. If not, I don't mind dying on my sword. Um, I really think the guy's got some uh, some problems, man. Um, yeah, we've yeah. seen his quit position, Rich, right? Where he dives down, goes for the takedown, a couple short elbows to the side of the head, and the fight's over shortly thereafter. So, <laughs> yeah, I hate I hate seeing when somebody has a pathological way that they lose, and I would describe Span that way. Um, that's the other thing that would make you concerned back in a Smith uh, sub at plus four sixty because those quit position elbows are always there, and you literally see safe side. You listen, guys. He's like, no, move, Ryan, no, please. Like every time. And he's just like not moving from that position. So uh, it's happened more than one time. It's happened from early on in his UFC run. So uh, just something to be weary of with the Ryan Span side does have pathological losses. I think um, Smith with his back to the wall is a good position as well, man. I think he knows he's got, a, if he wants to stay in the UFC, he's got to win this one. Um, so hopefully he's more than up for this one, man. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll note on the total is just with everybody thinking, I think uh, I'm with you in terms of my gut instinct is that it should go under one and a half. But I do feel like, why would they only make it minus 200 here when this last fight ended in the first round? This is light heavyweight. This is Ryan Spann, first round or bust type of guy. Why would they give you that out to play the under? It does make me feel like, hmm, the, the bookmaker um, could be trying to trick us here. It could end in the second round, but it could go all the way. If both of these guys are gassed out in front of each other, I just think, Maybe not as dangerous after six and a half minutes as we think uh, for these two guys. Anthony Smith is a guy who's rallied for some late finishes before, but I mean, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, it's been a little while since we've seen that that kind of Anthony Smith. 
Yeah, I hear you on that. I try not to put too much stock in the the bookmakers. They're just fuckers like uh, me, you, and Pepe, man, making these lines. Look at the uh, uh, Aljo and Sean fight. The open fight doesn't go the distance like minus 130, and it closed like minus 200. Um, Sometimes they, they don't know dick, man. Fair play. And let's see if they know Dick on the main event because we got Max Holloway, bless, taking on Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie. I shared today, you guys can find it on Twitter, at Liam Picks Fights, 20-plus pages of notes that I've taken on Chan Sung Jung. He's been around a long time. He's had a lot of high-level fights. It spans from the Dan Ige fight to the uh, Leonard Garcia fight. Like we, we cover a lot of bases, right? And I just think that Chan Sung Jung deserves that respect. I don't know how many fights he's going to have left. But he's a guy that put on a lot of great wars, a lot of great shows. His wins, his resume is fantastic. His grappling, critically underrated. However, Max Holloway, he's got good grappling too. You know, he's got really underrated grappling himself. So I feel like it cancels out in this fight. I don't expect to see much wrestling or grappling at all. So it's a fight that mostly plays out on the feet. You got one guy who, in my opinion, is a little bit faster, a little bit fresher, a little bit more defensively responsible and throws way more fucking volume. That seems like a hard guy to beat on the feet. Unless you catch him, unless you knock him out, that's been hard to do. I've taken a couple other guys on the upside on the chance that they could do it, but I don't think a 36-year-old is the guy I want to do that. I've noted before, before he fought uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, I noted this guy is older than the average age of the featherweight division, especially the average age of the featherweight top 10 by quite a margin. I think that Chris V is onto something here. I would not be surprised if this is a retirement bout of the Korean zombie. If it's not this one, it will be in the very near future, I believe. Fun fighter, great fighter, great resume, legend of the game. I think he's getting finished, unfortunately. The one danger, I think, in that is that Max Holloway, not the most vicious guy, right? He's a nice guy. He has some mercy out there. He'll let people off the hook at times. But I just think in this fight, kind of like with Volkanovski, he's just going to land too many clean blows in this fight over the course of of the 25 minutes that I don't think Zombie's going to be able to take it. Uh, I did think, um, shout out to a friend of the show, um, oh God, I think it was Mick Picks. I, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe at Mick Picks on Twitter put out the Holloway um, 3-4-5 KO. I do think that that could be sharp. Korean Zombie, he was finished in uh, 2010 via head kick by George Roop. Since then, he has never been finished prior to round four. The guy is tough as fuck. He will stay in there. Even if he's getting beat up and brawl, he got basically knocked out by Brian Ortega, fought 25 minutes anyway. The guy is tough as an old leather boot. So I think that this is going to be a fight where early going, maybe some fun competitive striking exchanges, but Holloway's volume, his intensity, I think will pick up over the course of the five. Give me Max Holloway. I think he actually gets it done inside the distance and um, not as uh, nice a price as last time with Volkanovsky. I love that price last time out. I bet it pretty uh, substantially. Um, But I think that this is a fight that's good for Max. I think it's a, a fun fight for the fans, but give me Max Holloway late, late KO here. How do you feel about this one, Rich? Uh, last fight of the night, main event, big uh, chalk price on Holloway. Is there any way to get to it, or are you passing on this one? I actually like Max, but obviously it's going to be some props. Um, obviously, I can't play that money line. Um, I knew the narrative was going to be Max in three, four, five, and it kind of makes sense. Um, I cashed that on the Volkanovski uh, fight when Volkanovski fought um, Zombie. Um, but here, if I'm going to take it, man, I'm actually going to take one or two. Um, for Max, likely round two TKO. I just think once he starts feeling them shots, um, it's just going to be reminiscent of the Volkanovski one. I don't know whether he's got the fire anymore. He might think that he has, and round one will be semi-competitive. Um, but yeah, I can see Max doing that early, actually, one, two, or three. 
Um, and I like to fade the narrative. Um, so I might look at that, man. Depending on the numbers, they they do seem a bit shit. Um, the numbers yeah, on the Holloway round props are fucking terrible. Uh, it's and not to say that I won't end up taking them, but just like looking at it offhand, I was not thrilled by those numbers either. Yeah, I'll probably stay away, man. Um, I'll probably just watch this one as a fan. Um, but unfortunately, I think Zombie's going to get uh, get finished. Peppy, how do you feel, bro? Is there a Yo, chance for the zombie? What do you like? <laughs> I, I hope I just hope the zombie doesn't take too much damage. Like, I I hate seeing him like get battered up like that. You know, he's he's such a such an OG. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I I don't have anything on this fight. I don't really know how I'm gonna play it. Maybe just twenty units on Holloway money line minus eight hundred, and it's like it kind of feels like a lock, you know. Um, but yeah, in all seriousness, I'm, I'm not really sure how I'm going to approach this one, but yeah, I don't, I don't really see any hope for the zombie, um, in this spot. It it seems like, seems like a really, really, really sure thing for, for Max here, but I don't know. I don't know if I want to make a massive bet on his money line or not. <laughs> what about this man uh, what about the uh submission for max what about if zombie um implements the wrestling like he did against ige maybe he gets his neck snatched up in a guillotine some shit round two or three possible yeah but uh zombie's got good submission defense doesn't he yeah true so does glover to yeah um, yeah that's true if he's battered up and shit maybe if i got ten dollars eight no career to yeah. the sub is our guy zombie um, I, I think say that eight and no, eight, no career to the sub. Yep. And he did submit some good guys along the yeah. way. Uh, Dustin Poirier. I actually was going to bring up that Danny gay fight because I thought Danny gay kind of hurt him to the body in that fight. And then he was like, Oh fuck this. And they just took him down and easily outgrappled him the rest of the fight. That's the safety valve. I don't think he has here. And we've seen from max, he'll do the same thing, right? Yeah. You're starting to land a bunch of clean shots. He's like, fuck this. I'm taking him down. And I just think that Max kind of knows where he needs a fight to be at any given time. And I feel like the zombie, he fights more for like the love of the game. Like he, he goes out there, even in the, the fight against uh, Yair, right? He could have just avoided him. He could have just ran away 10 seconds left in the fight, hands up in the air like a lot of guys do, but he's still there fighting and he leaves himself there to the bitter end. So for me, the four and five KO at, at plus 550, I do think is a little interesting. Um, granted, it's a little bit public, right? It's probably going to be the more obvious selection, but I do just think sometimes in these spots, you know, the public will eat. And I do think zombie is a tough motherfucker. So I think in the early going, he's going to take some shots. He's going to try and, uh, you know, stand out there, bang a little bit, compete. But I just think that over time, older guys, the number one thing that they drop off in is cardio and durability. And I think that those are the two things that as the fight gets extended, as more volume adds up for max, most of his wins and finishes, they're not in the very early going. He'll just build into it. He'll take his time, and he's a global star, guys. 3.5 million followers. He's one of the biggest stars in the UFC. Doesn't get that credit and respect, but he's constantly in headlining roles. They can put him anywhere in the world. People will come to watch Max Holloway, and uh, I think that he's still a featured attraction for the UFC. So I think they're putting him in a spot where he can win, where he can get a highlight finish, add one to the reel, and I think they're putting the Korean zombie in a spot where he can retire in a meaningful bout that he wanted, that he always called for. And I think that that is, you know, to be respected. Would we want it for him? No, but we're not fighters, right? And he wants to go out on his way. He wants to fight the best guys. He's never taken an easy fight in the UFC. 
Section nine, right? We'll stand up and proclaim our guys. But Dennis Bermudez, the pride of section nine as well, he got absolutely flatlined by the Korean zombie. So we know that this guy could pack a punch. He's not going to quit on anybody, but it just seems like a, a tough fight in over his head a little bit at this point in his career. So give me Max Holloway. And that's it. 13 fights in the can. Two great guests breaking it all down. I think that we did a good job sharing different angles on these fights, sharing different ways that you guys could target it. Something I always stress. More than one sharp way to break down a fight, right? We're not all going to agree every time, but what we can do is try and bring new information to the table, try and bring our own unique perspective. And I think we've done a good job of doing that today. So shout out to you fellas, Rich, please let the people know where they can find you, my brother. Yeah. Twitter, check me out, uh, Patreon in the bio and uh, good luck with your bets, man. Absolutely love it. Great stuff on the show. And Peppy, let the people know where they can find you, my brother. Yeah, man, Liam, thanks for having me on, Rich. Good to talk uh, fights with you guys again. Um, at Pepe underscore Sylvia 716 on Twitter. And um, got my information on Twitter. And you've got the information for both of these gentlemen in the description box below. If you are looking for it, you can find it there easily. If you're looking for me, you can find me everywhere. At Liam Picks Fights on all platforms. You can find me on Patreon as well. Written breakdowns, social media side reports, ton of stuff every week. Contender series, all that covering uh, basically the whole orbit of the UFC in as much detail as I possibly can. That's what I do on this channel as well. So guys, if you enjoyed the video, drop a like on your way out. Make sure that you get subscribed. Hit that notification bell so you know that we're going live constantly. And we missed first look this week, guys. I have a match of my own coming up. Had a lot going on this week. Went to the PFL yesterday in person. So what we're going to do instead, a post weigh-in live stream. I'm going to come back to you guys after the weigh-ins tomorrow with some more thoughts, with some more research. So God bless you all. Thank you all for the support. Hope you enjoyed today's program. Come back next time because we're doing it all again. Shout out the sharpest chat in the game. We'll see you all next time.